Hi, you're listening to the really useful podcast. We are the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. I'm Christian Corley, deputy editor, and with me is uh, Gavin Phillips. Hi, Gavin, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Christian. How are you, mate? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, Breaking in a new tooth, which is a strange thing to say at my age. Uh, Yeah, start with soup, I think, and uh, work your way up to mashed potato and onwards. Words in uh, sideways. Yeah. <laughs> or use a straw. <laughs> or use a straw, yeah. No, it's um, it's settled in nicely. It's, uh, it's going well. Uh, we have a number of news stories and um, useful tips and tricks to get you through the next seven days until the next really useful podcast. We're going to be looking at the news that Facebook has been storing passwords as plain text. We're going to take a look at Google Stadia's game streaming program and the fact that MySpace has lost a lot of information. Yeah, MySpace. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> We're also going to uh, take a look at some remote control apps for your TV uh, for an Android phone. So basically, you can control your TV from your phone. And Gavin's going to be uh, spearheading a chat about the spectre and meltdown uh vulnerabilities on pretty much every single type of computer or mobile phone tablet going that arrived uh i think back end of 2017 that's right and, yeah yep and are still issues uh which are patched and unpatched and tweaked and what have you we'll find out what the latest is with those it is it is a little heavy but we're going to try and keep it as light as possible um so let's um hit facebook let's hit facebook literally actually and um, they've admitted that it stored passwords of not just me not just you hundreds of millions of users in plain text which for an organization the size of Facebook, well, for any website is a no-no. For an organization the size of Facebook is just massively irresponsible. It's bonkers, really. Uh, the scale of it is, um, is is staggering. Between 200 and 600 million Facebook users across the main Facebook site, Facebook Lite uh, and Messenger, people who aren't using their official Facebook account anymore. Uh, but are still using the messenger service, all yep. affected. Yeah, and that's twenty thousand or more than twenty thousand Facebook employees were able to scan the plain text password database if they wanted to. It, it I mean, it, it's it, as you say, it's staggering. It beggars belief. And I'm, you know, it's we're at an age where something like this happens almost weekly not necessarily with Facebook, with other big companies revealing they've made massive security faux pas. Uh, so in the case, it's not even faux pas, really, because that would suggest some kind of integrity mm. that they've mm. kind of just put to one side briefly, you know, got in the wrong person or whatever. This keeps happening with Facebook, so it's pretty embarrassing. And the blog post, Keeping Password Secure on Facebook, they admit... And I, this is the, the phrase they use. Some user passwords were being stored in a readable format within our internal data storage systems. And that sum, as Gavin has mentioned, is between 200 and 600 million. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a revolutionary use of the phrase of the word sum, isn't it? 
Mm. Yeah, it's like when I lose some money and actually it turns out to be 600 million quid. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, there isn't an awful lot you can do about this other than make sure that you are maintaining a uh, a habitual password changing routine, really. Uh, you, you may decide to get off Facebook. I wouldn't blame you. Uh, I think there comes a time when everyone should consider getting off Facebook. I wish I could, but I have a few pages and things connected to facebook which uh a little bit necessary for me and it, you know if there was another means of sharing photos with members of the family around the world it would be a lot easier but uh, unfortunately at this stage there isn't something that does that for you really well I, I don't think gavin what do you think um i think like you said if you want to get off facebook the the litany of uh Facebook scandals um, at the moment is extensive. Cambridge Analytica, the uh, hack last year, 50 million users. Facebook bug uh, exposing user photos. There was another one last year, 14 million users hit by uh, Facebook changing their privacy settings unannounced. And I was actually browsing through a, a short history of Facebook's privacy issues. Um, and you look back to an article that I read in, in 2010 from a different website, and it was much of a muchness. <laughs> so wow. nothing much has changed in, in nine years, except the scale of Facebook is now so overwhelming that leaving it is basically, well, it's not impossible, that's the wrong word to use, but it feels like an extremely difficult task. Because like you said, you've got sites that you're promoting sites that are only run through facebook it's a primary way of engaging with people so so leaving it is incredibly difficult yeah. and you look back at this article <clears throat> and it's people commenting the same back then in 2010 when the user base was only 500 million <laughs> so it's grown by orders of magnitude it is uh it is concerning that 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 side of things i um you know it is an amazingly inept collection of errors and it does make you wonder just who are they employing but <clears throat> you know we're it, it's not going to be the last time this happens so draw your own conclusions you can read more about this on the article on makeyourself.com and as with all items that we're discussing in this week's really useful podcast uh, you'll find it in the show notes let's move on to google stadia which lets you stream games anywhere it's google's new cloud gaming platform uh you may have thought i don't need a cloud gaming platform maybe you don't or maybe you do uh, what do you make of it gavin i think it's interesting isn't it I th it's one of those things you can see that google's going to throw their whole weight behind it and invariably anything that google throws its whole weight behind tends to succeed by the sheer weight of their existing infrastructure you know they've got hundreds of thousands of servers all over the world and you think that they could use some of that infrastructure to stream was it 60 fps 4k hdr at 60 fps direct to your monitor and this you know they're saying they're going to use triple a games the company's tested the service using Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Doom Eternal. I mean, they're two great games. So if you can stream that directly to your monitor 
for what I presume would be a small amount of money, then why wouldn't you go for it? When you think about the hardware, do you think they'll charge for the hardware or do you think that's something that will come at an extra cost? Uh, I think they'll probably charge. I, think... I mean, I mean, they're not going to give it away for free, are they? Because people start hacking it straight away. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So it might be a good way if it's going to be a service that you may have to pay a little bit extra, say, for AAA games when they arrive, or is it going to be more of a place where they can release? Because they're becoming a game studio themselves, aren't they? So is it just going to be a place where they release their own stuff alongside a few AAA titles to get people on board? Yeah, are you, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. I was just thinking about the, the device again. I mean, there's, it makes sense to me, and uh, looking at what Google have done over the past few years, it makes sense to me that they would bundle it into some sort of TV box. Mm. Uh, now, I, I don't know what the new GPU looks like. I'm imagining it's not small enough to fit inside a typical box currently. Uh, so... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of it, but I know I'm not. I I think people like buying games, physical games. Do you and think though, because it doesn't have the same feel of ownership as you know, in the '90s, you you go to a shop, you buy a game, you used to get a massive PC box case, didn't you? Yeah, it was like the size of an encyclopedia. And yeah, that was yeah. exciting, you know, and you'd have your yeah. manual that was massive and thick. You could read it on the bus on the way home or whatever. But yeah, the it was ownership... like buying a vinyl LP. Yeah, yeah, it was actually interesting, and there was always custom artwork and stuff in there. But that sort yeah. of side of it yeah, yeah. has gone from ownership, hasn't it? So Unless you're paying premium prices, unless you're like paying, like you can get special editions of games from gaming nerds, <clears throat> can't you? And you pay an extra to get like special, not like extra you know, as you say, special yeah. work or 3D figurines or whatever. Collector's editions and whatnot. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think... I think Stadia or any form of this this type of streaming rental things going on, I think this is more akin to arcades. Uh, okay. Um, you know, you, you have the option of playing it if you want to play it or if not, you just move on to something else and play that instead. And there's a sort of casualness about it. And I'm not saying people aren't going to, like, properly tap into this i just feel that from the beginning almost gaming has been about the specification of the machine and if the machine is more or less not taken out of the equation but you know there is a degree of it being taken out of the equation and it all being controlled from a remote server and all the machine all all the hardware that you have is basically you know a, a streaming gpu Mm-hmm. then that kind of takes it out of it. So I'm I'm in two minds as to whether this is going to go, really. That's that sort of thing we're saying. If they put their weight behind it, it has unintended consequences in other market areas, doesn't it? Mm. S- suddenly GPU sales drop off dramatically because no one needs, needs them anymore or gamers don't need them anymore, at least. Yeah. So that sort of thing. Yeah. Did you ever try any... Um, game streaming platforms before uh, i think i had a go at one but there was something going oh no that now there was oh i can't remember which one it was it was about two or three years ago 18 months two years ago i tried one and 
the moment I, I, it was quite a low subscription. It was like two ninety five trial or something like that. Mm. And about half an hour after I started, uh, Virgin Media pulled up over the road and started pulling wires out. Oh no! <laughs> so that it just kind of fell by the wayside and was never returned to again. What about you? Uh, I had to go on live. Um, right. Several years ago now. Um, it was decent enough for the time, but I think being down this end of the country, we've not always had uh, super excellent broadband, so you couldn't really make the best use of it. But I think with today's much faster internet speeds in most places, uh, and especially like we've already said about Google's infrastructure, they'll be able to uh, accommodate a wider range of um, internet connections. Actually, they've said something about that already, though, and that it's going to need to be 25 megabit connection which is, yeah, I which think is pretty high it is pretty high i think it's very likely to be something that rolls out in the u.s mm. first for quite a while where the where, well, and the place where google have got their uh, internet yeah exactly yeah i think that's going to be the uh it would make sense anyway so yeah so basically this is the google stadia which lets you stream games to your tv or your monitor or whatever without you needing an xbox or a ps4 or a switch nintendo switch or or anything really and there's some like really good quality games there and you know it could comp it, it could it has the possibility of completely changing the way we play games and take that whole having a games console aspect away but yeah it seems there's going to be some hardware or some tvs or some set-top boxes with the hardware in we will um learn more as time progresses with that now then my space um, which I think is isn't this Justin Timberlake's vanity project now? Oh, is it? Didn't he buy MySpace a few years ago? I oh, I don't I don't know to be honest. I've I've had this in my head. It might have been. A, it, I mean, it sounds bizarre enough to have been a nightmare. Or, you know, so like a the, the last bit of cheese that I had before bed coming back to uh, uh, punish me. Oh, but um, yeah, maybe he did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I've just looked it up. Yeah, Justin Timberlake buys his own social network with MySpace investment. But bear in mind, this was in 2011 and it has That's since been sold since yeah. then. Okay. So there's the backstory to that. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so MySpace, the social network that um, for many people preceded Facebook, if you can remember that far back, um, is admitted to losing the files that users uploaded to the site between 2002 and 2015. Uh, which um, some millions of audio, photo, and video files. It's um, it's somewhat remarkable that they managed to lose that amount of data. Almost as remarkable as the fact that they're still running. It's pretty uh, incredible, really, that a that they're still going, and as we've just heard, they're on their third or fourth set of investors, almost after. Justin Timberlake. Um, Twelve years of files is an incredibly large amount of files, considering what MySpace was like, the amount of music that was on there, uh, and then it transitioned after it kind of lost out to Facebook and uh, and other social media networks. It transitioned into a music service, didn't it? And it was a good place to find sort of indie music or local music because that's what it kind of was used for when it was an actual social media site so yeah yeah so i can imagine there's a lot of old 
older indie bands or bands that probably don't exist anymore and uh, bands that have no way of getting music back have probably lost out quite a lot so it's all the... oh, of course yeah yeah, people are kind of going, oh, it's only MySpace. But when you look at that side of it, it's, it's probably quite sad for some people. Yeah, um, Andy Bio, who is a uh, former CTO of Kickstarter, states <laughs> that he's deeply sceptical that this was an accident. Flagrant incompetence may be bad PR, but it still sounds better than, quote, we can't be bothered with the effort and cost of migrating and hosting 50 million old MP3s. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair point. Oh, I don't know. That's that's a fair stretch, isn't it? I mean, do you think deleting, I, losing the the server, deleting the server with well, no who's backups? Using MySpace? Who's using MySpace? That's it must good... cost an awful lot of money to keep running and keep all that data. When you know all these, how many five sets of investors on from Justin Timberlake? Did we say? Yeah, four or five, I think. Four or five. <laughs> yeah, there's there's you know, return on investment isn't going to be great, is it? No, it's true. It's true. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that stuff is gone, basically. You're never going to see that again. Unless it's been fortunate enough to have been, you know, archived um, on the Internet Archive, which I think is unlikely. The takeaway from this, of course, is don't use social networks as your uh, as your cloud drive, I suppose. That's a dangerous thing to do um, because they could disappear tomorrow. Even, you know, Facebook could have a meltdown, delete everything, that sort of thing. It's never a good idea to use social media sites as a backup. No. No, I mean, you should always have two backups. You should have a physical backup and a cloud backup. And, you know, if you, you know, I mean, this is going off track a little, uh, but, you know, if you use an Android phone, and you have a Google account, then your photos getting backed up to your G drive. Mm. But you should also have a physical copy of them on a hard, well, not a physical copy of them, but you mean like a hard, as hard copies go, yes. um, digital information. You should have a copy backed up to a hard drive for local server storage or whatever your solution is for stuff that's in your home. Yeah, absolutely. And they say if you'd be sad if you lost it, you'd be silly not to take two backups. And it doesn't take that long. And you, you will not regret taking multiple backups. You will never regret taking multiple backups. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's going to move on now. And you can find out more about MySpace in the show notes at makeyourself.com. And uh, yeah, TV remotes. Everyone, at some time or other, loses their TV remote. Unless they have one of those TVs that don't need a remote. In which case, they're a lot fitter than I am. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, if your phone is equipped with um, a uh, infrared transmitter, or if it's possible to um, sync data easy to like, um, hook up your phone and your TV to your local network, then it's um, possible that you can start using a app-based remote control to navigate through your TV, which basically it's a lot harder to lose a phone than it is to, re- to lose a remote control, given that remote controls are so much bigger than phones. That seems slightly baffling, but um, that is the way things are. So there are apps for Android, there are apps for Apple TV, and um, there are apps for um, uh, iPhone as well. 
And um, yeah, it's just general TV. I mean, there are so many on offer. Um, there's the Android TV remote control, which is an Android um, produced app. There's the Amazon Fire TV remote. Uh, which my dad absolutely swears by because he keeps remo- uh, keeps losing his Amazon Fire remote, which is about um, you know it's like half the size of his iPhone. Oh was, Yeah, so um, he's he's got the app, so that saves him a lot of bother. There's a funny story attached to this actually, because um, some time ago he lost his Amazon Fire remote, and he was using the app fine, but then he wanted me to install. Cody on there, I think. So we right. ended up resetting it, then installed Cody, then found he couldn't use it because we'd reset it and he didn't have the original remote for the Amazon Fire. So what we ended up doing was buying a new remote for the Amazon Fire, syncing that, getting everything back to normal. And then I was um, moving some boxes around and I found the Amazon Fire remote at the bottom of this box. Ironically, an Amazon box, uh, the missing one. So he's now got two Amazon Fire remotes. Oh, no. Amazon Fire. <laughs> uh, at least something works there. That's the, yeah, the main so, thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's all these different remote apps. Some you pay for. Um, mostly, I think they're free. Uh, do you use uh, an app for remote your TV? Um, when I, ha- I don't have it anymore, but when I had an Android uh, TV box type job I, I used the official android tv remote control and uh it was it was really good um works seamlessly as you kind of expect with official google things and android things uh, and i've just i found it very easy to use um and i'd like to use it on my regular tv but my uh, phone doesn't have a it doesn't have a infrared output although i use a different one if i connect my computer to the tv um, you can control the the computer through uh, a different app, which I can't remember the name of, which isn't very good. Um, I've also used the unified TV one um, at my dad's house, and he, like your dad, he swears by the unified TV one, um, and he says, "Yep, very easy to use. Use it through his phone, saves him from getting up." Uh, so happy days. Excellent. I used to use the um, the Cody core app when i was using cody um a lot on a raspberry pi but mm. i mean I, if i ever need to use cody these days which is basically for watching ted talks and what have you i just use it on the xbox so i can just use an xbox controller so i think i mean we, we're taking a slight detour again going slightly off topic but um is cody kind of falling out of favor do you think well, it seemed to sort of have a heyday two years ago, I think. It was sort of at its peak when Android boxes running Cody were hitting a lot of people's houses all at the same time, weren't they? So there's a lot yeah. of interest. In. I don't think they've necessarily gone out of favour. I just think people aren't talking about them as much because they've become more standardised in people's viewing habits. So there's less sort of interest in how you fix them and how you do this and that. Um, but I know um, on some of the local Facebook groups I'm on, uh, there's always adverts popping up for fixing Cody boxes and stuff like that. People who have been bought uh, an Android Cody box, things like that, and they don't know how to fix them or update them, they suddenly stop working. So there's definitely stuff still floating about. Yeah, 
Yeah. I think, I mean, like you say, yeah, it's, it, it has peaked. And I think, you know, people are probably noticing that it's a useful tool, but the, the, I mean, there is a big amount of illegal stuff out there, isn't there? We've had um, someone charged in the UK in the past week for um, selling the, uh, you know, the preloaded coding yeah. boxes. That's um, the thing. It is, yeah. it is a portal to illegal content so especially if you're selling it or you've bought one in the full knowledge that it is loaded with all the channels illegal streams then uh, you could end up in in hot water so there are other legal options available yeah i mean i was watching um i didn't you know this is um again this we're going off script here but i've found that you know getting out and about and using the um, the Google uh, surveys tool, which is so, yeah, the, na- the the proper name of which escapes me at the moment. Google Rewards. Oh yeah, yeah. So get out and about. Make sure you got your phone with you. Location turned on. And make sure you've signed up to Google Rewards. Okay. And then you know, after a couple of weeks, you've generated five or six pounds or dollars. Answering questions, go on Google Play, buy a movie, stream it through YouTube app on Xbox or on your TV or whatever, or on your phone or your tablet. You've, basically, you've got yourself a free movie right there. You don't have to steal it. You can buy it by answering questions. I completely agree. Uh, I can attest to that. Uh, £33.58 so far, and that's paid for all my... Android games, Android apps for the last few years. So yeah. it's you just a little step and you can earn it exactly, for, yeah. for walking around. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, um, yeah. I mean, who needs all those? Who needs access to every single movie for free? Really? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm really not sure. <laughs> and, you know, you'll, you'll find out there's stuff that you want to look, you know, like really obscure stuff. You can't find anyway, anyway. So. No, no. So, yes. Okay, let's move on. Speaking of movies, Spectre and Meltdown, the uh, new James Bond movie. <laughs> Should probably be called Meltdown, but it probably won't be called Meltdown. This is the ongoing story of every piece of hardware, apart from a few models of the Raspberry Pi, I think, and not all of them, are susceptible to the Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities that um, basically undermines confidence in in computer hardware uh, over the past 18 months. So, so what, what's going on with it now? We had a lot of patches, didn't we, back in uh, early 2018, which we were warned would slow down computers, and we had the option of taking them or not taking them, and the risk that you know, there's essentially a back a mathematical backdoor here in computers with processors from Intel, AMD, and uh, ARM licensed processors. So what's going on now, Gavin? Well, the latest update to Spectre, uh, specifically Spectre, um, is that Google uh, about a year ago uh, figured out how they could mitigate the Spectre Series 2 vulnerability. It's come in two generations. Um, the second generation can be fixed 
with something called the retpoline, which is um, a... Sounds like a drug. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, it's a software construct for preventing branch target injection, uh, which also makes it sound like a drug. Um, <laughs> Um, so, very simply, Spectre was a or is a vulnerability that allows someone to make your computer run code um, at a very, very um, deep level of the computer in the CPU, the bit that's basically the brain. Uh, obviously, this isn't very good, um, but the patches that previously exist slowed down the CPU because it was having to work around this vulnerability. The way they've tried to fix it is by introducing um, an alternative prediction branch. So instead of using a single prediction branch, there's now multiple ones. So a hacker couldn't exploit the vulnerability in the same way, which is great news because uh, it was causing problems for computers all around the world um there's two issues with it the fix only works for pre-intel skylake processors um and you must also be running the windows 10 october 2018 update this is for microsoft machines uh there'll be other patches and fixes for amd uh, and other cpu manufacturers but the result is that you should be protected against spectre uh, without suffering any performance uh, issues. Okay. Now that is the light version of this whole situation. That's the light version. Uh, yeah. You can get into a lot more detail with it, but I think I think the the key thing to take away, as with a lot of these major vulnerabilities, is that it is a pain because the patches are affecting the performance of your PC. But you do need the patches. You can't get away from that. But the vulnerabilities aren't really anything for the regular person like you and I and, and our listeners to actually worry about. You just have to unfortunately part with the prevention measures because you can't get around that because it is affecting your CPU. So you've not noticed anything. Most people haven't noticed anything either. You'll have had some of the patches on your computer that have been installed, probably haven't noticed a, a jot. It's only people that are measuring these specific CPU clock speeds and stuff that are, are talking about it. But hopefully now, you know, maybe you will know, maybe you will notice a little speed boost after this rolls out to more PCs. I, I, I'm not sure, but it's worth having it, and it's worth having security patches. Okay. Now the um, it's it's worth pointing out as well that uh, you know these vulnerabilities, although they're probably not going to do much to a standard user, um, there is the risk of them introducing vulnerabilities to servers. So web servers, banking servers, data servers, all manner of online services could theoretically be compromised by these vulnerabilities which is why patching is important at both ends and why it has been a big deal uh for 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 pretty much the entire tech landscape over the past 18 months it would be nice to see the back of it but uh i honestly don't know if we will uh anytime soon certainly 
Well, there's um, the ninth, tenth, tenth generation of Intel processors should be have uh, CPU-based fixes. So rather than relying on patches, software patches to try and cover up the vulnerabilities, the new CPUs, uh, I think they're called Whiskey Lake, are going to have what's called an <laughs> in silicon, yeah, an in silicon uh, hardware fix. So there'll be hopefully and theoretically no more need for patches that compromise your CPU speed. Right. Okay. And when, when do they are they later this year? I think start of next year. Maybe later next this year or start of next year. They're right. still in okay. still in development. I think there's a the end of the ninth generation to come and then the start of the 10th next year. So basically new hardware next year should be offering a hardware-based solution to this. Okay, right. Well, I mean, on that kind of um, slightly James Bond note, we uh, reached the end of this week's really useful podcast. I mean, if you need to find out more, if you feel you want to find out more about Spectrum Meltdown, then do head over to makeuseof.com where we have some really clear explanations, as clear as it's possible to get with those topics uh, on Spectre and Meltdown. And you'll also find the uh, full set of show notes for this week's release for podcast uh, below, if you find us on makeuseof.com and on several of the podcasting uh, library apps, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Player FM, Stitcher.com, Google Podcasts, various other places where you can subscribe to us. You will also find us on Transmission where we are hosted. I would appeal to your better nature and ask if you could leave us a review at iTunes as well. That would uh, help us immeasurably. And if there is anything in this week's release for podcast that you feel you can uh, pass on to a friend if you can't make use of it yourself nice pun there by me um do so and uh, just share share the skill share the love let's make tech simple for people instead of just putting it to one side because it seems like it's going to be too complicated because most stuff these days is pretty much straightforward this is really useful podcast i'm christian corley joined by kevin phillips and until next time it's goodbye from us 